have gathered tonight for the 2022 Global Leadership Conference. Can you just imagine 3,000 people baptized in one day? Someday. You know, these past eight days of the, dare we say, extended GLC festivities, I believe have changed the movement the course of human events, and in fact, all eternity. On Wednesday, August 3rd, the World Sector Leader family gathered together, the family that leads the family. The Morenos led us in communion, and each one of us broke the single loaf of bread, looked at our brothers, and pledged before the Lord and each other, we are family. We ate it, and then we took the cup the juice that represents the blood of Christ. And we said and pledged again before God and our brothers, bonded by the Spirit to the end. On August 5th, we joined together with the Crown of Thorns Council family, the family that oversees world missions. On August 7th in the morning, we had the Ignite Sunday service. What an incredible time. That night, over a thousand gathered for the International Campus Leadership Seminar. And we were treated to an epic sermon, which was the keynote address, Company of Prophets by Dr. Jason Dimitri. On August 10th in the evening was the ICCM Chancellor's Gala. And in a special way, we celebrated the record five disciples that received the prestigious ICCM doctorate degree. Congratulations to Dr. Ricky Chalinor, Dr. Jason Dimitri, Dr. Blaise Fumba, Dr. Mike Patterson, and Dr. Joe Willis. This morning, almost 1,400 gathered for the Church Builders Workshop. And then this afternoon, we had our first ever GNN News Anchor Team Luncheon. Thank you, Luke and Brandon, for the incredible job with GNN. We are now in 13 different languages. And you will see Season 2, Episode 10, at the banquet on Saturday night, and it is the best one yet. And tonight, isn't it exciting? Just look around. People have literally come from all over the globe. To make a statement to a lost world, we are one in the spirit. And I can't help but think of the appointments made that statement with an exclamation mark. James from Hong Kong, Sandra, from Warsaw, and Rizzo from Moscow, Russia. The world is being evangelized. You know, this is the year of the spirit. And in the Africanus world sector, it's so exciting in French Africa. Last year, we sent out a mission team of just 11 disciples from Abishom 
to plant the church in Yonday, Cameroon. During COVID, 11 disciples had a record for the sold out movement, 147 baptisms, their first year. In Austro China, just a couple of weeks ago, there was a five person mission team to Taipei, Taiwan. Two of the five did not speak any Chinese. There were no visiting disciples, and yet they had 31 in attendance. In the European world sector, I mean, it's been so exciting to see week after week incredible college students baptized at such universities as the University of College London, UCL, and Imperial College. But it's incredible how the London church has really learned to preach the word through social media. Because just recently, baptized in the great London church is the former LGBTQ plus number one influencer in all Europe. She is now our sister. In Latin America, in Latin America, it's so exciting. The Mexico City Church is now healthy again. And Raul and Linda have now been able to divide up Latin America into four quadrants. Julian Vaitza Amarel will be moving to Mexico City and they will oversee Central America and Mexico. Danilo, Danilo and Carol Batalong will be moving to Lima and they'll oversee the northern cone of South America. Alfredo and Alejandro Anuch will oversee the southern cone, the Spanish-speaking part of South America. And of course, Vinny and Bia Rodriguez are holding down Brazil. I mean, it's incredible now, a second tier of forceful advancement is being had in Latin America. So exciting in the Middle East, the promised land world sector, has been the inclusion of the Cursors as a shepherding couple with the Blackwells, who are now in New York City. And yet, one of the most exciting aspects about the Middle East actually is happening in the United States section of it. In the last 13 months, the Boston Church has sent out three plantings, Portland, Maine, Manchester, New Hampshire, and Providence, Rhode Island. In the tribe Pack Rim World sector, so exciting, the San Francisco Bay Church has already baptized over 100 souls this year. In June, in June, it was so awesome to go to Manila and to be able to see at the Pack Rim Missions Conference 750 in attendance. That Sunday, 13 baptisms and one restoration, Ned Lamb, who is now the leader of our Vietnam Remnant Group. For the PAC world sector, so exciting has been the work the McDonald's have done in Minneapolis. They went there with the prayer by faith that they would double the church. They started with 16, and in one year's time, they have 32 sold out disciples. In Chicago, just 30 months ago, the Spirit blew John and Emma to, dare we say, the Windy City. And they had 131 disciples at that time. Now, 30 months later, they have 352 disciples. But get this, they had one campus student. Now they have 87 on 14 different campuses. 
In the Sages World Sector, the Spirit has taken the Speckmans to New Delhi, India, and now GNN will be broadcasted there. And you'll get a taste of that on Saturday night when you see just exactly how they're dressed. And uh, perhaps most heroic amongst all the works of the Spirit was what happened at the first Caribbean Missions Conference. About a hundred American disciples and a hundred Haitian disciples, in order to meet together because there were a lot of challenges, they each traveled about eight hours. Now in Haiti, you are literally taking your life in your hands. And so we had a hundred Americans, a hundred Haitians, they came together to celebrate that they love the Lord even more than their very lives. And then in Eurasia, yes, war is terrible, yet we serve a sovereign God, and God uses all the events of mankind. And so because of that, God has given us two new plantings there, the first in Lviv, Ukraine, and the second in Warsaw, Poland. Amazingly, the Bordieres, upon hearing about the invasion, the Bordieres lead mercy worldwide. They said, brother, let us go. We've got to make a statement to the lost world. They go. They live in Warsaw, they travel to Lviv, and we now have four Mercy projects in Lviv and one in Warsaw. And Elaine and I were very fortunate, about three weeks ago, we got to worship with the Warsaw Church. And it was, it was an experience like none other. We sang songs in Polish, Ukrainian, Russian, and uh, English. <laughs> I mean, it is incredible. You should have had in your packet the listing of this year's church plantings. I went back and I looked at one of my lessons from December 2021, and at that time, we had only planned for 17 church plantings this year. The Holy Spirit has outdone himself. We are now planning 26 church plantings in 2022. Praise God. The title of my lesson is Called by the Spirit. Our main text is going to come from the book of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah means Yahweh is salvation. Let's go there to the very first verse. It says, The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Messiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Well, this is pretty interesting. His father must have been someone of great report, or he wouldn't have said, Isaiah, son of Amos. Well, we have no more information in the Bible, but we do know that in the Talmud, which is a very reliable rabbinic record of Jewish law, theology, and history, that his father was the younger brother of King Amaziah. So that means Isaiah was royalty. He was brought up with the other princes of Israel. So he was not a commoner like Amos the shepherd. He was not a priest like Ezekiel, but he was the royal prophet. Prophet of the princes and prince of prophets. And so he gained easy access to all of these kings because he was royalty. His ministry spanned about 70 years. 
And ultimately, history says, and the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, 37 alludes to it, that Manasseh, the evil king Manasseh, sawed him in two. That was the royal prophet. Let's go to chapter 6. We read in verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Well, now we have a very reliable date now for this particular event in Isaiah's life. It's 739 BC. Interestingly, in the vision, he says, I saw the Lord. Now, he does not use the word Jehovah here. He does later on in the text. But he uses Adonai, which is, shows a greater reverence for God. Notice as well that he sees the Lord seated on a temple. Now, seated means he's set. He's immovable. He is sovereign. He is in control. And then it says that the robe filled the temple. Now, very interestingly, the word temple right here actually can be translated as the word palace. They're the same word in Hebrew. And in a way, this particular vision harmonizes these two things. We see the temple, but we, we know that in the temple there's no throne, but it is, a, it is a vision. But we do understand that with the great kings of that day, there would have been a throne. You would have looked up to them. And so this is the beginning of the vision. Isaiah says, above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. Most commentators believe these powerful angels to be human in form, except for the six wings. Why six wings? Well, you can fly a lot faster with six wings than you can with just two. <laughs> the seraphim literally translated are the fiery ones. And notice though, in, in this particular situation, they're stationed above the Lord, and they're stationed there because they're ready to do his bidding. Two wings covered the eyes. Well, you cannot look upon God or you die. You say, well, why are two wings covering the feet? Because they'd already had missions to earth and it soiled their feet and they could not bring anything impure into the presence of God. And of course, they had two wings free to fly. Let's read on. In verse 3, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Wow, there was a vision of the glory of God in all the earth. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Oh my gosh, just with the angels singing, holy, 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 
The Bible says that literally the doorposts and thresholds of heaven were shaking. No wonder the gates of hell will not prevail against our God. We read on and we see that the temple's filled with smoke. That's a signal to us. Anytime there's smoke around God, you know that he's upset. He's angry. And so we read in verse 5, Isaiah says, Woe is me. I am ruined. Maybe better translated, I am going to be destroyed. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Wow. We understand that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we know that there is no human heart that is absolutely pure. And so the symbolism here is that he was impure before a very pure and holy God. But then we read this very interestingly. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Now we need to understand, this is not his conversion. He most likely has been a prophet ongoingly because all the other prophets start their story in chapter one. He's already been prophesying, but what we understand right here is that this is a very, very special moment. And so we read then in verse eight, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. When we can even just glimpse the magnificence of our God, we will stand in awe being mesmerized by his glory at the same time overwhelmed in terror with who he is. It's at this point that we are ready to volunteer ourselves for the work of God. Point one, answer the call. We call this the Global Leadership Conference. And some younger Christians say, well, you know, I'm not a leader. I don't know why I need to go to the Global Leadership Conference. Well, here's a newsflash. When you got baptized, you said you were going to follow Jesus anywhere. Well, Jesus was a leader. And the moment you got baptized, you signed up to be a leader. That's why you're here at the conference. Now, there is a call to leadership right here. As a matter of fact, I would dare call it a commissioning. And Isaiah sees God and the very seeing of God purifies him. You know, I remember in 1972, I was blessed 
to be able to be invited to a church where they were preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And I was baptized. At that time, I was in the high honors pre-med section at the University of Florida, majoring in chemistry. And there's always a humbling that comes with that. You see, I was able to graduate with a 3.82 grade point average, but, but my wife had a 3.84 grade point average. So I'm the dummy in the family. About one year after I was baptized, I went home and only my mom met me at the airport because my brother had been taken into the hospital because they'd found a tumor in his chest, Hodgkin's disease, cancer. And it just completely took me back that my little brother, just 17 years old, had cancer. And Randy was an agnostic and certainly not very open, but Every day while I was home for spring break there in Chicago, I brought him tapes, I brought him books, I got him a Bible. I tried my very best to reach out to him. But I believe that God gave Randy cancer to humble him, yes, but another reason. On the last night that I was there, a new nurse came on in. And the typical questions come. So, uh, do you go to college? Go, yes. I, where do you go? University of Florida. Uh, what's your major? Well, I'm pre-med. And what do you think you're going to do? I say, I'd like to go into the ministry. I had never said that out loud in my life. She was the first person that, out of the overflow of my heart, the mouth spoke. And I remember then immediately going back to Gainesville and talking to the minister there. And he said, you know, Kip, it's quite evident. God has called you to be a leader. And I thought about it, and I knew it was true. We need great doctors in the kingdom of God. Amen, guys? Great nurses, great health professionals. But for myself, I reasoned, well, even if I'd become a good doctor and even could save Randy, he would someday still die. I want to do something that would have eternal impact with my life. And so I didn't go into the full-time ministry immediately. I was still in college. And so I set my mind to be a leader in the college ministry. I started leading Bible talk, not one, but two, as well as leading the youth ministry there at the Crossroads Church. You know, it occurs to me that we are gathered with a gathering the likes of which we have never seen any of us in the new movement. And we as God's people reflect his magnificence and his glory. And I don't know about you, but this is a moment. It's not your baptism moment, though hopefully we'll have some on Sunday. Amen, guys. But this is the moment you get to look upon your God and to see his glory, to stand trembling in fear that you, yes, are one of the few called out in all the world to be here at this time, the most important meeting on the face of the earth. And 
the GLC is your time of commissioning. It's your time to make a decision to be a leader for Jesus Christ. Everybody's got to make that decision. Some will go full time. Not only are you called to leadership when you got to answer the call, but you're called to a place. Isaiah is called to a very difficult place, Israel. And I thought to myself, wow, I was so resistant. When I first went into the full-time ministry, I got called to Philadelphia. And I actually worked in the Church of Christ College. And I couldn't understand why God put me there. But I learned a lot about the mainline Church of Christ. Then he sent me to the middle of the cornfields in Charleston, Illinois, just 18,000 people in the whole town. But there, God taught Elena and myself how to baptize. In the three years that were there, God blessed us with baptizing 300 college students. And then, God took me to my dream place, Boston. Later, when we planted Cairo, all the Americans, seven out of the eight people on the mission team, were kicked out of Cairo. And I knew that I'd be making decisions to send people into life-threatening situations. And so while I was over there, I said, okay guys, I'll be back in four weeks, and I'll bring my family, and I will lead the Cairo church this summer. That was the call of God. Later on, the call of God would be to Bangkok, to Moscow, to a little town called Portland. God has his purposes. You know, today we, we had a great opportunity to see a, a young woman named Sandra Smith become a woman's ministry leader in the kingdom of God. As mentioned, she was a full-time actress in the AMS. And to do that in LA, to support yourself as an actress, that's quite something. And yet, I still remember calling her up and saying, hey, sis, we need some help on the DC mission team. This is just last year, 2021. And she says, okay, bro, I, I, I'll go full time. Well, then just a few months later, her mom got a stroke. And she went to be by her mom's side to nurse her mom back to health. And it's awesome that her mom and dad are here. Amen, guys? Well, then her mom told her, you know, Sandra, it's time you probably need to get back on your job. And so she was called to be the leader of the women in the West region of LA. Well, she did such an incredible job there when we were looking for a woman to lead in Warsaw, I, I thought of Sandra. I said, wow, she'd be great. It'd be a great sacrifice for LA, but we need somebody that's going to put immediate forceful advancement into the church. I'll never forget calling her. I said, hey, Sandra, this is, this is Kip. Um, sis, I, the Lord's put upon my heart to ask you to go to Warsaw, Poland and to be the woman's ministry leader there. There was a little hesitancy. She goes, bro, may I have a few days to write out the pros and cons of going? 
Okay, sure, sis. Next day, I get this frantic call. I see Sandra Smith. Bro, this is Sandra. I, she, she's in tears. She was so anxious. Bro, I, I've got to apologize. I, I have sinned terribly. When I received the call, I was, I was thinking of pros and cons, but now I understand it doesn't matter about my comfort, my safety, the beauty of the city, or how I'm doing financially. The only thing that counts is the question, is this the will of God? I says, how do you know it's the will of God? I said, when there is a need and you're called to that need, it is the will of God. She says, sign me up for Warsaw, Poland. At one time or another, all of you are going to get the call. And it's certainly, as Santa said, not a matter of comfort, safety, beauty of city, financial, or how physically close you are to your family. The only thing that matters is, is this the will of God? I pray that when you hear the voice of God, and you may yet hear it this weekend, will we sin? You will stand up and say, here am I, send me. Now it's a very tough message that Isaiah had to say to Israel. He says, basically, God is going to destroy you because of your sins. And that basically covers chapter six through eight. And it talks about God's anger against Israel because of their sin. You see, God always wanted his people, his treasure possession, to be the light of the world. That was the plan. Remember the crossing of the Red Sea? They sang about it in the Song of Moses. It says, now the nations will fear and tremble before your name. That was the plan of God. All the nations, when they heard about the crossing... The same thing was true when they crossed the Jordan. It says all the people of the earth might know now that God is the Lord of Israel. And then, of course, there was the young man David. Before slaying Goliath, he says, Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. David understood the heart of God was that his glory would be throughout the whole earth. Well, not only did he prophesy the destruction of Israel, but also the, dare we say, the tool that God would use to destroy Israel, which was Assyria. So we find that chapter 8 ends with that. And then he introduces us to something very exciting. Let's look at verse, chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Natali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty 
God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, over time, the nation of Israel failed to be what God called them to be, the light of the world. And so, even though so does David is kind of the prototype Messiah, it's actually Isaiah that introduces into the theology of the Israelites the concept of the suffering servant, the Messiah, the anointed one, that will not only lead all the Jews into the light, but all mankind, both Jews and Gentiles. Now let's go, if you will, to chapter 11. At the end of chapter 10, the Lord again says how he's going to smote Assyria. But then we read in verse 1 of chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. Now, a shoot is like, like a little baby little thing coming out of the, the dead stump. It's unexpected. It's young. And it's the stump of Jesse. Say, so why doesn't it say the stump of David? Well, it's more humble to say the stump of Jesse. Verse 2, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. It says this shoot is going to have the spirit of the living God. So we now have the introduction of the Messiah, and now we're going to see how the Messiah is going to rule. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness and the sash around his waist. So now we see this incredible messianic figure that's going to rule in righteousness. And then he introduces the concept of the messianic kingdom. So what's he going to rule? Verse 6. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. There's the little child again. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw with the ox. The lions are going to become vegetarians. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand in the viper's nest, but it will come to no harm or destroy on my holy mountain. The holy mountain is the nation of God, the messianic kingdom. For all the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. And the church said, Amen. Our first point was answer the call. Our second point is, be the answer. You know, right here, we, we find an uncommon unity. We find that natural prey are at peace with things that would normally consume them and hunt them down. And yet in this golden age of the messianic kingdom, so to speak, there's complete, total peace. That is God's vision for his messianic kingdom. That is God's vision for his church today. Are you with me? 
You got to admit, there's nothing like that on earth except his kingdom. I mean, isn't it incredible that here we have gathered with us disciples from Russia and disciples from the Ukraine? Isn't that a sign of the kingdom? We all understand from John 17, 20, 21, that Jesus wants us to have complete unity to let the world know that Jesus is the Son of God. How is that achieved? Well, let's go to our go-to scripture, Matthew chapter 18. You know this scripture? I thought I did. Verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by a testimony of two or three witnesses. Keep going. Verse 19. Again, I tell you that if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it'll be done for you by the Father in heaven. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am with you. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. You know, one of the things that we value so much is peace in our relationships with one another. I remember probably about six years ago, there was some intense feelings between two of my best friends. That was Nick Bordieri and, and Michael, Michael Kirshner. And I talked to them and talked to them and finally I, I brought them together for a lunch. It was at Jerry's Deli. And I, you know, made sure they had a nice lunch. <laughs> then I brought up my Bible. And we looked at this passage and other ones. And, and I said, you know, brothers, I've been talking to you literally for months. No, 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 years. And you're still at loggerheads with each other. I said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you by Sunday to become friends with each other. If you're not friends with each other and have forgiven each other from the heart then you're both out of world sector leading. On Sunday, Michael and Nick were doing great. They were best of friends. And so you know how it is when you get a victory like that, you, you feel good about yourself? Well, time goes forward. And there are two other world sector leaders that are having problems. And uh, being the wise person that I am, <laughs> I would let one talk to me and I go, yeah, mm -hmm, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> the other would talk to me, yeah, you know, so that, 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 that really, that's very interesting. <laughs> and so then I would, in my wisdom <laughs> and experience, I would talk to each brother. And as time went on, their relationship got worse and worse and worse. I literally was preparing for this message about two weeks ago 
When I read Matthew 18, 15, it says, if your brother sins against you, you're to go show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you will have won your brother over. When I understood that I had sinned grievously against each brother, because I had not said, stop. I don't want to hear anything until you talk to that brother. I called up each brother and I apologized in tears. It was such a grievous sin that I, I had drawn a wedge in them. Here I was confronting them with their division, yet I was the most divisive one of all because I was the one listening to this. Then it was very interesting. It began, it came to my attention that even amongst some of the world's sector leaders, they had talked about me to each other in their wisdom. And you know something, guys? When you talk to someone without talking to them first, it's just going to further alienate them. Now, I, I, I'm chief of sinners. I sin grievously. And I say these things as someone who sees the damage I did. Praise God, these two brothers are doing a lot better. Amen. <laughs> and I think that we need to, to be the answer when it comes to unity. Sometimes being the answer is not listening. It's sending the brother back or the sister back and say, hey, you talk it out. Now, if they don't have the courage to talk it out, maybe it's not that big a deal to begin with. And that's God's way of shutting it down. Or maybe they say to you, I'm, I'm just so scared of this person. Hey, you say, you got to obey the scriptures. You must talk to this person. And you know something, I've always found that even if I get in angst with somebody, and then I start talking to them, I mean, even when I start talking to them, the angst starts going away. You know what I'm talking about? And you know what? You've won a friend. You've won a friend. Be the answer to unity. Why am I so hard on that? Because this is what destroyed us in the old movement. We allowed gossip and division to divide us. And when the moment of crisis came, Satan smote us. Satan smote us. Not only are you to be the answer in complete unity, but we need to be the answer when it comes to sending out these 26 plantings. And to send out the 26 planting requires finances. Amen, guys? You know, I've got to commend the, particularly the American disciples for the incredible way that you gave in May. You gave last fall. You gave the previous May. You gave the previous fall. You gave the previous May. You've given and given and given and given. I praise God for you. But it's very interesting how, as the churches have matured, that there's such a wide separation between how much American disciples give per capita. I mean, the, the per capita highest giving church in America is New York City at $85.
$85 a person. Is that incredible, guys? The next is Denver, 75. A baby church, Kansas City at 73. Philadelphia at 72. And Delaware at 70. Wow. That's, that's incredible. But you know something? We, we have this feeling, I think, in America, like, well, <laughs> we give a lot. <laughs> and I, I asked Michael, I said, hey, bro, can you shoot me on over, not just top five givers. These are not pledges. This is the actual amount given. I said, how about you shoot me over the international ones? Top five. He said, sure. So the number five giving church is CT1 at $59 a person. Edinburgh, $64 a person. Auckland, $85 a person. Sydney, Australia, $112 a person. CT2, Crouching Tiger 2 in mainland China at $140 a person. We can't give more America. You know, I'm blessed to have adopted different churches over the past several years from Manila to Kiev. But my beloved church is Los Angeles. I, I, I love you guys like no other. It was, it, was, it was tough to say I was no longer going to be your evangelist. And it's always great to come home to you. you you've got to be the most warm and loving church that I know of. And so, because I love you so much, I've, I've, I've got to speak. LA Church, you are the mother church. You're Jerusalem. You have set the pace. You have sent out scores of mission teams. You have edified not only America, but all of the fields around the world. And yet, LA Church, your giving has slipped to $51 a person. I, I say that not to shame you, but to wake you up. I mean, you've got baby church plantings like Delaware and Kansas City given 70 and 73. So, well, they're baby churches, so they can give a lot. Well, then you got the New York City church that's been around for forever, given 85. But look at, look at what's happened internationally. Now, you know what's very interesting here, guys? CT1, Auckland, Sydney, and CT2, they're all under Joe Willis's charge. And say what you will, the man wrote the book. Money is the answer for everything. Now, it's not the answer for salvation. 
But of course, Solomon was a builder, and if you're a builder, you need money. And we are building churches around the world. I believe with all of my heart, Joe has inspired the disciples in the Austro-China world sector more than the rest of us. To me, to me, it's like Maverick said. It's not the plane, it's the pilot. You know what I'm talking about right here? It's a leadership issue. I want to challenge the LA church. I want to challenge you. Every one of you, increase what you're giving this Sunday. By the end of this year, be ready to pledge 20 more dollars a week than what you're giving. You're still not going to be giving as much as Auckland, Sydney, or Red China. Church, American and international, if you found the money to get here, and that was after a mission's contribution, I believe you can find more money to give to God. Are you with me here? Be the answer! You know, pretty interesting. Let's go back to Isaiah. The vision right there. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. You know, there's a game show called, Do You Want to Be a Millionaire? Some people just nickname it millionaire, and Americans don't know this, but it's syndicated literally in many different countries around the world. And if you don't know about it, it's a show that simply features kind of a quiz competition with contestants trying to win a million dollars by answering a series of increasingly difficult multiple choice questions. But at the very end, the commentator asks, the people that are competing, my third point, is that your final answer? <laughs> you know, very interestingly, in Australia, their host is a man named Eddie McGuire. And so, when Eddie asks the contestants, is that your final answer? They respond, lock it in, Eddie. Now, lock it in Eddie has become kind of a colloquial phrase in, in Australia. So you say, hey, you want to go to the beach? Lock it in, Eddie. <laughs> you want to go to the mall and shop? Lock it in, Eddie. You know, um, it's very interesting. Usually at the end, of that pulsating moment, the commentator asks, are you sure? Are you sure? As I mentioned before, 
I was baptized at 17 years old as a freshman at the University of Florida, 1.30 in the morning, April 11, 1972. And so this year, I celebrated my 50th spiritual birthday. And uh, it's, it's very interesting. Every day, practically, whether it be by text or phone or particularly in a fellowship like this, the question comes, how did you make it that long? And I've had a lot of time to think about it. And I believe it comes down to just two simple things. Number one, never, never quit. Number two, always, always be grateful. Everything flows from those two things. Never, never quit. Always, always be faithful. Now, I have three granddaughters, and they all love the movie Encanto. I've seen it 10, 15 times. I can sing even the Spanish songs. Los Olaguitas, you know, the two caterpillars. But there's a line that I love. Stars don't shine, they burn. And in considering my 50th birthday coming up in January, I thought to myself, I, I don't just want to kind of ease into this thing. I, I, I want to live my life. I want to make it to 50, Lord willing. And I don't want to stop. I, I, want, to, I want to burn. I want to, I want to go out the brightest light that I possibly can. I do not want to go out with a whimper. And so I thought to myself, what do I do? Now, I always read through every year the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and it takes me usually six, seven months. But I told myself, I said, you know something? It says in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes through hearing the word of God. I, I need to bulk up on faith if I'm going to be the strongest I've ever been when I turn 50. So I determined that I would read through the entire Bible before April 11th, and this I did. And it's very interesting. It worked. Because in February, I thought to myself, you know something? My mom is not open. But I have been calling her every day for the last five years since Dad died. And I've got to do something to save my mom. So the Lord just put upon my heart to get her, I just went on the internet, to get her a super large print Bible. I mean, it's this big by this big by that big. A pink one with flowers on it. My mom's an artist. Put her name on it. And uh, I took her to her in February. I said, Mom, I've got a gift. And she, she took it. She goes, wow. I don't need glasses to read this. <laughs> Next day, I come back. She goes, son, I just had to read my Bible last night. Wow. So I said, you know, Mom, 
You know that uh, little booklet on your table that's been sitting there for a few years called First Principles? <laughs> it's actually dedicated to you and dad and all the money goes to the McKean Scholarship Foundation. I would like to do all the studies. What, what do you think about that? Son, that would be outstanding. And so I had to go back every five weeks and help my mom go to the doctor. She has some eye issues. And so we would do the studies. And Elena was with me for the first few. Then I did some of them alone. And um, then it came to one well, of the last ones, the church study. And I said, you know, Mom, I've been studying along with you. Elena's been in here. But, you know, we, we need some other people in here. Um, what do you think about me inviting somebody else in? She goes, no, I just like studying the Bible with you. <laughs> I go, Mom, I'm, I'm not always around. You need somebody. I mean, particularly a woman. I said, you know, I've had Martin and Carmen Bentley. And, and for those that don't know, Carmen is Elena's older sister. I said, They've been, they, they have been uh, quarantining for four days now so they can come and see you. I, I, no, I don't want to do that. I go, Mom, we need to do something like this. Well, I want you to know, I don't want to do it, but you can invite them on over. <laughs> so, I thought, great. You know, Carmen will really help out. So they come the next day. Mom greets them, I greet them. And, uh, I mean, she knows Martin and Carmen well. And I expected Martin to come to the door and say, hey, um, you know, bro, I'm going to take off. Um, I'll come back. What time are you going to come back? A couple hours and pick Carmen up. But he didn't. He came on in, gladly accepted coffee and some cookies from mom. And, and then I go, well, you know, hey, guys, uh, I think we need to start the study. <laughs> Martin starts walking towards the living room. <laughs> then Carmen, then mom. I go, well, here we go. <laughs> so Martin sits down. Carmen sits down, mom sits down, so I sit down. We, we start going through the church study. Long story short, we go through it. And uh, <laughs> mom was pushing back a little bit in the study. As pushing back so hard, she was saying, now, you know, there are scriptures in the Bible that say all you need to do is just believe and be saved. I go, mom, we, we already talked about that. I'm thinking, oh, Martin and Carmen must think I'm really weak sauce when I'm studying with my mom. <laughs> I go, Mom, we talked about this. You've got to be baptized. <laughs> well, we got about halfway through. It was two hours later. And I, I you know, I, I, we're a little bit of a log jam there. And so I go, Carmen, how about you share about your conversion? And she says, well, you know, my conversion is a little bit different than Kip's because, well, I was raised Catholic. And so though, though Kip prayed Jesus in his heart in that false doctrine, I had the false doctrine of being baptized as a baby. And we talked about that. That was interesting. And I said, yeah. And, 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 and then Carmen got baptized. Elena got a bad attitude. But then Elena got baptized three months later. Wow. Okay. And I thought to myself, Martin, you know, I don't even know what background you, you have. I, I know you're my brother-in-law, but, you know, but what, what is your background? And he started talking to my mom. He says, well, Kim, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a combination of Kip and Carmen. I was baptized as a Presbyterian as a baby. 
And then later on, I kind of prayed Jesus into my heart. And then I became a total pagan. <laughs> but then I was baptized at the University of Florida. I go, that's, that's awesome. Martin, your mom got baptized kind of late in life, right? Well, yes. I said, how old was she when she was baptized as a disciple? 73. See, Mom? 73. <laughs> well, tell me more about her, Martin. Well, she was a Presbyterian choir director. See, Mom? And she goes, you know something, I, I know what the Bible says. I just, I feel close to God. I just feel like I don't, I don't feel like I really need it. And then Carmen just looked mom in the eye. And she says, you know, Kim, there's a great scripture in Isaiah 55. It says, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. And then she said the thing that all people of the great generation, the generation before me, they just, this is how you get them. And Carmen just says, Kim, you simply need to do the right thing. Mom goes, I simply need to do the right thing. And she was baptized that Saturday, amen? Where's your faith at? Is this your final answer? Have you locked it in? You know, it's very interesting. Several of my friends in the ICOC, they've retired. They've retired because it's kind of a unwritten rule that you got to retire when you're a certain age. I think it's 62 or something. As a preacher. And, you know, I, I spent a little time on my Bible and I couldn't find any of the prophets retiring. I said, but that, you know, that is the Old Testament. So then I went to the New Testament, and I didn't see any of the apostles retiring. And you know something? You only retire when you stop hearing the voice of God. Now, there are exceptions. That's for the full-time people. Actually... I want to talk to people that have secular jobs. Let me share with you about one of your sisters, Judy Harding, Rod's mom. She retired early because she had to. She was in a truck crash. She had 28 surgeries. Because she was retired, she went on the Portland mission team in 2008, the D.C. supplemental mission team in 2012, and to the Atlanta mission team in 2018. August 7th, she turned 75 years old. She's still in a bunch of studies. Another couple that took early retirement was John and 
Laura Zamora of the Shepherding Couple of San Francisco. In my book, in my book, they're 60 years young. And I was talking to him, and he says, yeah, we, we had to retire early because we want to do something with our lives when we still have a lot of vigor. However, when we retired, we took a 60% pay cut. However, since we're Latin, we decided that we wanted to pursue our dream and go to Mexico City to pursue an ICCM master's degree and doctorate degree, write books, and plant churches. And then I thought, John, would you mind if I asked you how much you, you give a, a week? He said, no problem. He says, we, right now we give 200, but I want to give more. I said, now, you're giving 200 a week. Yeah. So I asked Raul. I said, bro, how much, like, does an intern? He says, well, eh, 400 or so. Do you realize the moment they go to Mexico in a couple weeks, they are going to immediately put on two new interns that month because of the power of the American dollar, and they retire. You know, I think God is asking us a question about retirement. Are you gunning for a comfortable dream home in the country away from people? <laughs> B, an easy schedule getting up at the crack of noon. <laughs> C, to travel to your bucket list destinations. Or D, Jesus is Lord. And God's going to ask you, is that your final answer? And prayerfully, you're going to say, lock it in, Jesus. You know, a couple months ago, I turned 68 years old. And um, I, I've had to give up things that I'm doing so I could spend the last years of my life trying to be the tip of the spear. I'm giving up the soapy editorship to a person who'll do a better job than me. That's Chris Adams. <laughs> On Sunday, I'm giving up the chancellorship of ICCM to Dr. Tim Kernan. <laughs> On the positive side, I thought to myself, well, that's the last diploma I ever have to sign, so that was good. <laughs> but you know something? I have a dream. Yes, I want to evangelize the nations. But the dream actually is over in Isaiah chapter 11, right after we talked about the waters cover the sea like the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth. It says in verse 10, In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, and from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, 
and from the islands of sea. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. My dream is to have the remnant come and be with us. He goes on in verse 16, he says, there will be a highway for the remnant of his people. You know, you know, a path means a few people. A highway means lots of people. We need lots of people. You know, we've talked a lot about campus ministry, and we need campus ministry to evangelize the nations. But when you look on your Crown of Thorns project, we're now in 53 nations. Do you realize in phase one of the Crown of Thorns churches, 11 of those 12 churches were planted by remnant disciples. That is how important remnant veteran disciples are. We need as many as we can get. Hardly a day goes by that I don't get a text or even a phone call. Bro, how can we reunite the two movements? Wouldn't it be great to see the ICOC and the ICC come together as one? And I, I, I want there to be unity. But we need to understand some things. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 says, Watch your life and your doctrine closely. For by it you'll save both yourself and your hearers. You know, back in 2002, the ICOC officially went back to mainline theology. They surrendered the basic five core convictions that built them into the movement of God. Sadly, they gave up the conviction that we're a Bible church, not just a New Testament church. I mean, after all, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 says, all scripture is inspired by God, and he's talking about the Old Testament right there. Number two, you know, we believe that we are silent where the Bible speaks. Whatever it says, just shut up and obey. <laughs> and we, we, we speak where the Bible is silent. You know, if, if there's nothing prohibiting what we're doing, let's go ahead and do it. We believe discipling is a command of God. Everybody needs discipling. Doesn't matter if you're as old as me, 68, or if you're a young disciple, 13. You've never been there before. You need help. All of us need help to be good disciples for it to be our final answer. They surrendered central leadership with the central leader. I still remember being approached by a brother. And he says, Kip, just, you, know, you can be part of the new leadership team and the ICOC team. All you got to do, the only thing you have to do is just say that autonomy is a matter of opinion and it's not sin. I said, I can't do that. It's sin. Two months later, I was disfellowshipped over that conviction. And then three, five, I believe in the dream to evangelize the nations in this generation. The ICOC says it's impossible, and yet Paul and company did it in the first century. 
Colossians 1.23, every creature under heaven has heard. We can do that, church. All it's going to take are three or four bad internet articles, and wait, we will have evangelized the world. And trust me, I think you guys are worthy of persecution. You know, I, I'm excited. I, I love studying with remnant people. I had the chance when I was in Warsaw to study with a, a brother down in uh, Nigeria. His name is Akeen Lewis. And Andrew was with me, and so was Balaji. And now, Akeen, he's a special man. He's a little bit older, like me. And uh, he was an evangelist in the ICOC, but then he left that and he went into making movies. He became a star, movie star, not in Hollywood, that's Los Angeles, not in Bollywood, that's Bombay, but in Nollywood, Nigeria. And you'll see a little clip on him in the uh, GNN on Saturday. But it's so exciting that he and his wife, Olandi, and another brother have taken their stand. And we now have a new remnant group in Abaddon, Nigeria. This guy's with his heart and soul. This guy's amazing. We have another amazing man amongst us now. Uh, he's a friend of uh, Blaise Pumba. He too was an evangelist in Africa. His name is A.J. Hoff, and he's visiting us here at the GLC. And I talked to him. He and I are friends. And I said, you're ready to join the movement? I said, he said, yes. I said, so you're ready to be restored on Sunday? He says, that's what I'm gunning for. I said, amen. That's what it's going to take. You see, there, there can't be a joining together outright of ICOC, ICC. We need to understand that ICC is just a worldly name for us to give us an identification. We are the movement of God. We cannot compromise that. We cannot compromise that. We cannot compromise the doctrine for the sake of unity. We need to have a conviction that yes, we can all be unified if each brother agrees to the scriptures and the five core convictions, we will be unified in evangelizing the nations. So sad. Just a few years ago, one of their own prophets, so to speak, shared that what's happened to the ICOC since they've abandoned these five core convictions is that out of a 667 churches, 122 had zero baptisms that year. You need to understand, these convictions make the movement. You need to know them. You need to understand them. You need to be willing to stand up for them. You need to be willing to be this fellowship for them. We need the remnant. You older brothers and sisters, it's time to stop sitting in the back. It's time to start cheering the young people. They're doing so good. It is time for the older brothers and sisters to stand up. Be the remnant that God is counting on. If you're full-time, it's not in the Bible to retire. 
If you have a secular job, retire early so you can be full time for the Lord and win souls. That needs to be your final answer. And you need to simply say, Jesus, lock it in. It is an amazing thing to think that in 2007 in May, 42 disciples came down from Portland and the Holy Spirit has now multiplied those 42 into over 10,000 disciples in 137 churches in 53 nations on all six populated continents of the world. This is not a movement of men. It is the very movement of God. And to God be all the glory. <laughs>